And the only thing I know what to do over these 20, almost 30 years now is each week take God's Word and grind out sometimes God's Word and pick out some things to say from the verses and give them to you. Now, part of, part of communication is not just giving, but it's also receiving, isn't it? And I just want to tell you that the only way you really can receive is by taking your Bible or your iPad or your, or your iPhone. Hey, it's all God's Word in there, right? And bring it and open it up. And today, we're going to be in a very, very, I believe, important passage of Scripture. We've been in a series where we've traced the words of Jesus where he would say, come to me. And today, we, we're, going to, we're going to finish that. But the passage we're going to end with is an incredibly interesting passage of Scripture. In fact, it can be a very confusing passage of Scripture. And so my prayer is, my hope is, I can get it out to you correctly, okay? But secondly, you'll understand what Jesus is trying to get across. I, I know that if you've, uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me regularly say, or if you grew up in church with a pastor that... that believes the Bible, and pastor that would teach the Bible, you would hear us say things to you like, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Isn't that right? Uh, that's what it is. Salvation is God's grace through faith. Not of works. Not because you deserve it. Not because you work for it. Not because you're good enough to get it, but salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And yet in today's text, we have a, a guy coming to Jesus who seems to set forth this works-based argument, and Jesus seems to accept it. That's what makes it so interesting. You see, at first it seems that Jesus is going to affirm his idea of eternal life. However, when you begin to dig it out, what you begin to realize is that Jesus put his finger on the one area of his life that was keeping him from salvation, that was keeping him from understanding and receiving eternal life. And the Bible says that he went away sad, having much property. One of my favorite authors, uh, commentators, is a guy by the name of uh, Warren Wearsby. You may have, if you teach Sunday school, he's, boy, he's a great writer in the general sense of Scripture. And in his little commentary, Warren Wearsby said this. He said, if something did not change in this young man's life, he would die the richest man in the cemetery. And so today, gang, we have, as I uh, take my leave for a couple of weeks, we have an incredibly challenging passage of Scripture. I don't want us to bog down. I want you to hang with me through some tough things, okay? But I think at the end, hopefully, we'll be able to draw it together. 
And you'll be able to understand what Jesus is saying to this guy and why Jesus says it. Because I'm convinced that what he's saying to this guy needs to be said to church members all across our country. To people who go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday but still may not understand the truth of eternal life. Matthew chapter 19, beginning verse 16. Why don't we stand in honor of God's word and we'll read through verse 26, okay? Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, do you understand what Jesus has just said there? That's law. That's works. Okay? If you want to enter eternal life, obey all of the laws. That's a works-based answer from Jesus. We've got to deal with that, okay? Then he said to him, well, which ones? And then notice Jesus runs right to the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, well, all these things I have kept. What am I lacking? Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then, here's those words, come, follow me. There was something wasn't there. Standing between this young man and God. I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Well, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray, okay? Father, we've just read a passage, a story, from your inerrant word. That means that what we read is 100% accurate. And yet, Lord, it seems to be a little challenging in our way of thinking about salvation or our way of thinking about eternal life. And sometimes, Father, it's hard for us to track the mind of deity. Sometimes it's hard to get our head around what Jesus says and why he says it in the ultimate purpose. And we've got a challenge facing us here. And the only way, God, that we can understand it 
is not because of Tom who studied, but it's through the illumination of your Holy Spirit. And Father, I know that if anything happens here, it's got to be because you're going to do it. and You're going to show it to us. And I think we need it. There may be some people today whose eternity may hang in the balance of this. So may your Holy Spirit have access to our inner man. May our brain understand. May may our heart accept your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, keep your Bible open with me, okay? Now, this account of what's called the rich young ruler is found in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, Now, from the story of their gospels, we can pick up a few details. So here's how I want to deal with the message. I want to first to begin by, by making some observations. As I studied the passage, as I began to draw out some things, there's some observations, about three of them, that I want to give to you about the passage. Okay, And then I want us to spend the rest of our time talking about what this young man didn't get what he couldn't get his head around, what he misunderstood, okay? Now, if you're not careful, you'll come away with the idea that having money is bad, and those who have money cannot be saved. Listen to me carefully. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what Jesus is trying to get across. He does mention that those with wealth, He does mention that those with money sometimes find it harder to do what anyone that's going to be saved must do, and that is forsake everything and follow after Christ. You understand that, don't you? The issue here is not the money. The money was the thing that was standing between this guy and God. What Jesus is going to try to help him understand Whether he got it or not, we don't know. He went away sad, the Bible says. Maybe later he got it. What Jesus is wanting us to understand, nothing about money, but he does want us to understand what is it or is there anything that's standing between you and God? And if there is anything that is standing between you and God, you're not saved. If there's anything standing between you and God, you're not part of the kingdom of God. Heaven is not your home. Hell is. That's why it's a difficult passage. It's hard to swallow. But we must. If we're going to be faithful to God's word. And everybody said amen. R-O-M-E. All right. Observation number one. Okay. I want you to know that he was a good man. And if good people go to heaven, then this guy would have made it. Now, when you read the gospel accounts, one of the things you find out is that he was rich. In that culture, rich was a sign of God's favor. Those who had money were thought to have special favor from God. They were kind of in the circle. That's wrong, of course, but that's what they thought. Now, the Bible also says that he was young. He was a young Wealthy man. That's exciting. He had his whole life to follow God. Precious it is to see young people desire to follow after God. How precious it is to see younger people realize 
that there's something wrong in their life, that there's something misfiring, that there's something that needs to be fixed in their lives. One of the reasons we spend so much time and energy and investment into our kids and into you, our teenagers, is because we want you to get it quicker than we got it. And the reason we want you to is because when we got it, we were all bruised up. We had gone through so much pain, right, adults? Made so many mistakes. Hurt so many people and got hurt by so many people. And so the whole idea here is to get it when they're young and how precious it is to see a young man come and say, something's wrong with me and I need eternal life. Now the Bible also tells us, and this is really important in the story, the Bible tells us he was a ruler called the rich young ruler. Okay. Now, by ruler probably means he was a synagogue leader. In other words, he was a guy who was looked, even though he was young, he was looked at as someone who was a man of integrity. He was a leader in religious circles. He was a leader in society. People looked at him as someone who was honest, and their idea was if anybody could get there because of who he was and what he did and how he acted, surely this guy would get in. Young people, he was a good, good man. Okay. Second observation, he had a grand idea. The Bible tells us that he came desiring eternal life. In fact, Mark tells us that he came running and he knelt down before Jesus. Listen, no synagogue ruler would dare humble himself like this guy did. This young man, this good man, this respected man, a man in the position that he held realized something was bad wrong and something needed to get fixed. We have many people today, you may be one of them, that never realize that there's anything wrong in their life. Maybe you're bopping through life, having a good time, thinking everything is okay, and you don't realize something's tragically wrong, that there's a misconnection. There's a misfiring of your heart. Many today have no desire, even if they knew something was wrong, have no desire to get something right. But this young man knew something was wrong, and he came desiring to find what was right. And yet, even this guy still, even after talking to Jesus, he thought he had to do something to make it right. Observation number three, he came to a great man. Now, gang, listen, he, he may not have realized who Jesus was. He may not, we don't know whether he realized who Jesus was or not. But he did know that Jesus was a respected teacher. Other gospel accounts says that he called Jesus a good teacher. So what I want you to get here is this. He didn't come to a religious system. He came to the source of eternal life. Very important. In our vernacular, we would say he didn't come to the Baptist church or he didn't come to the Pentecostal church or he didn't come to the Catholic church. 
He didn't come with all of this religious ideas. He came seeking eternal life, and he came to the very one, the source of eternal life. Many folks get caught up in their religious shenanigans. Many folks get caught up in their warped idea of eternal life, and they fail to see that Jesus, Jesus said this, that Jesus is the way, the only way. That Jesus is the truth, the only truth. That Jesus is the life, the only life. And nobody, 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 Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostals, nobody comes to God except through Jesus Christ and, beloved, on His terms. You understand that? It's coming to Jesus Christ alone on His terms. So throw out all of the religion terms. We need to talk about coming to Jesus on His terms. Okay? So we find a good man with a grand idea coming to the great source but we find something tragically wrong. There are some things that he misunderstood. And if you and I misunderstand them as well, then you and I are going to end up as he, lost for all of eternity. So, let's ask ourselves, what did he misunderstand? Well, the first thing was that he misunderstood God. Sadly, he believed, as many back then, in fact, as many do today, that God operates by the bonus system to his select few, and that's proved by what they receive in life. There are the haves, and there are the have-nots, and they show by how they live and what they have whether they have God's favor or not. That was the idea that they operated by. That's the idea he had of God, and it was all wrong. He didn't realize that God can never be evaluated on human terms. He never realized that God could be defined from human qualities. That's why Jesus said to him, there's only one who is good, and it's not you. It's God. He seems to have the idea, as many do today, that God is arbitrary or capricious. What I mean by that is this, that God operates and bestows his blessings based upon impulsive whims without any purpose, based upon his evaluation of the actions of a person, the individual goodness or the individual good acts. And that's so wrong. He never realized that God's goodness is seen in His divine character of holiness and in His standard of perfection. He thought He was special because He had land and He had wealth more than others who had less. He evaluated God's blessing from human standards rather than holy standards. It's a sad mistake, beloved, when we evaluate ourselves by the world's measuring stick. The fact is, whether you're rich or poor, you're still a sinner. Sinners all are we, worthy of death, worthy of condemnation, worthy of hell. 
We've fallen short of God's standard. We've fallen short of what it takes to enter eternal life on our own merit. No matter what is in the bank, no matter what is not in the bank, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He misunderstood God. I'm convinced that there's a lot of people today who have misunderstood God. And they evaluate God based upon how they live. And that's so tragically wrong. The second thing he misunderstood is he misunderstood himself. It's interesting that a religious leader of high visibility would come running and bow down, indicating he knew something was amiss in his life. And yet, when he did, and even after he talked to Jesus, he still tried to justify himself according to the law. Not only did he not understand the nature of God, beloved, he misunderstood the nature of humanity. I want you to listen to me. There's something that lies within the mind of man. Even though that man may have grown up in church, even though that man may have heard preachers all through his life or teachers in Sunday school, all through his life, talk about the ways of God. There's still something in the mind of man that thinks he can justify himself to God. God, we might say, man, wait a minute, God, I preached some good messages. Or at least I thought they were good. I taught some awesome lessons, God. Look at what I've done. Look what I have. Look what I've accomplished. And on that day, God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Yesterday I was, uh, I was listening to a, a podcast. Yeah, kids, I got it. I got an iPhone. I even can get the apps thing. And so I was, I was listening to an iPod app. And uh, there was a teacher teaching on, on the ways of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of R.C. Sproul, but I want to tell you, the guy rocks, you know. And he's about 80 years old, and he can rock and roll with the best. And he was talking about how he had taken a class, 50 or so people, through a study of the book of Romans. 50 lessons. Now think about it. 50 lessons. That's about 50 sessions. Book of Romans. It starts with, the universal condemnation of man in sin. First three verses clearly teach us that man is a sinner. He cannot save himself. Romans talks about redemption through Jesus Christ alone according to the blood sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. It's Jesus or nothing according to Romans. And he went through 50 different lessons on the atonement of Jesus Christ alone. And then he said at the end, he took a survey of his class. And in the survey, one of the questions he asked is, if you were to die today and you were standing before God, and God said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would be your answer? And he said he was totally astounded by the answers. Fifty lessons, he said, in the book of Romans. And when they turned in the answer, his students said, I've lived a good life. 
I've tried to do the best I can. That I've tried to have my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God, so let me in. Now what he said was they gave a work just like this guy. I've kept the commandments. My good deeds are better than my bad deeds. He never realized he was conceived in sin. He didn't realize from birth, gang, we go astray speaking lies. They didn't realize in this group that nothing good resides in us, that God is just to condemn us of our sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This guy misunderstood not only God, and many do that today, he misunderstood humanity. And many people, I'm convinced, still do not have a, their head around themselves. They still think that they can somehow manage it on their own, somehow still live better good than they are living better bad. And at the end of it all, because all they've ever heard is that God is love, that somehow they'll get in. Gang, God is love. That's why he's massacred his son upon the cross for sin. That's why you can't get in based upon who you are because God had to slay his son for your sin. He misunderstood the humanity of sinful men. And then the third thing, which is the most tragic, he misunderstood eternal life. Now it's interesting, is it not, that Jesus took him to the law what did Jesus do? He took him to the Ten Commandments. You know, gang, you can't understand the blessing of salvation until you understand how bad you are and how you've broken God's law. So it's interesting Jesus took him to the Ten Commandments. Even more interesting is that Jesus didn't even mention the first four that deal with a man's relationship to God. That's interesting. What he did, he took him to the last six. He actually left off the last one. But he took him to the second group of laws that deal with human relationships, or relationships in society. Even more interesting is that he did indeed leave on Jesus now. Why would he do this? He left off the last one. And he summarized it from the book of Leviticus and says, love your neighbor as yourself. And even after this interchange, this young rich ruler said, I am still okay. So then what did Jesus do? Well, I'll tell you what he did. He hit him with the last one that he left out. And that is do not covet. Now let me define covet. The word covet means to delight in. Or perhaps desire in. Or perhaps to lust after that which is wrong, especially if it belongs to somebody else. What did Jesus do? Jesus hit him at his point of rebellion. You see, the real hang-up in this young man's life was his riches that he placed ahead of God. And it's like I said earlier, the larger principle is this. Anything that anyone places ahead of God prohibits that person from eternal life. To him, it was his wealth. To others, it may, to you, it may be... Ah, you fill in the blank. It may be your recreation that's more important to you than God. It may be your job that's more important 
to you than God. It may be your family that's more important to you than God. The beloved, whatever, whoever it is, that will be the very thing that will damn you to eternal separation from God for all of eternity. You see, the first four commandments that Jesus didn't even bring up goes like this. You shall have no other gods ahead of me. You shall worship no other gods than the one true God. And so I want to say to you, if that's not true in your life, if that's not working in your life, then you're not saved and you're lost because the recreation, the job, the family, or whatever it may be that stands between you and God, that's your real God. And it's your real God that you worship other than the one true God that will condemn you to eternity without Jesus Christ. Now, as I begin to wrap, as I begin to wrap up, I, I, I want us to consider something very important. Let me give you a question to chew on. Why did Jesus go to the law? I mean, obviously, he's never been to seminary. Jesus has never been to seminary. They would have never told you that, huh? Why would Jesus go to the law? Can a man be justified by the law? Can the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, can a man be saved by the law? Well, the answer is yes and no. Don't lose me here, okay? Because I don't want you to walk out here and say, you know, you can be saved by works. The answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that if a man could keep the law perfectly, and if a man could keep the law personally, he could be justified by his works. He could be justified by his merits. You see, back in Genesis, God established a covenant called the covenant of works. Some call it the covenant of creation. He established it with Adam. And here's what he said. The covenant of works says that Man must live in perfect obedience to God. And if man did, then the reward would be life. And so, yes, because of the covenant of works, a man could be justified by the law if he kept it perfectly and if he kept it personally. Does that make you feel good or bad? So all you got to do, if you want to be saved by your works, if you want your good deeds to, to make it, here's the deal. God says, keep it perfectly. Keep it personally. No one can keep it for you. So let's, let's establish a framework before we move on. Anybody here ever stole anything? Let me back up. Let's start over. How many of you ever told a lie? Yeah, because you just about did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So, so you've, you've told a lie, right? Amen? All right, now, how many of you ever stole anything? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. How many of you ever lusted after somebody? Don't, don't. I don't see. Huh? How many of you have ever used God's name in vain? Hmm? See, we've got a problem, don't we, gang? Can I be justified by the law? Sure. But I've got to keep it perfectly, 
And I've got to keep it personally. Can the law save? Yes and no. Yes, keep it. No in the sense that we've just established the fact that nobody can keep it perfectly. Therefore, no man can be justified by the law according to the Bible. In fact, the Bible says it's through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You see, this rich young ruler never understood that truth. He never understood that the law that was given to us was a mirror reflecting back to us our inability and our insufficiency. You see, it's the law that shows us our sin. It's the law that showed this young rich ruler his sin. He never got it. I hope you get it today. Now, if we can't keep the law because we've fallen short, then, my goodness, what is man to do? Who then will keep the law on my behalf, fulfilling the covenant of works that God requires in perfect obedience? And all oh, dear people, let me tell you today, i got some good news for you. Since we are incapable, God was pleased to make a second covenant called the covenant of grace. And it's this covenant of grace that he offers freely to those who come by faith. It's this covenant that shows the law was fully kept by the second Adam. The first Adam couldn't do it. He blew it. He sinned. I know he blamed it on the woman, but it's his fault. She was deceived, he chose. And so the first Adam failed, and because of his failure, we're all born into sin, and we are guilty. But it is through this second covenant, the covenant of grace, whereby God was pleased to offer redemption through his son, Jesus Christ the righteous, upon the cross of Calvary, that he offers freely to those who repent and by faith believe. Jesus fulfilled the covenant of works. He kept the law fully, and he fulfilled it by his virgin birth, by his perfect, holy life, by his vicarious, substitutionary death upon the cross, and by his glorious resurrection. Oh, beloved, see the good news? Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that's what the cross is all about. Someone had to fulfill the law. The covenant, the covenant of grace does not negate the covenant of works, if you track with me on that. The covenant of grace means a substitute went to the cross and fulfilled the covenant that God established with Adam. For by grace do you stand saved by faith. That's an astonishing thing. You see, this guy didn't get it and walked away, but the disciples got it. They, they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. That goes against everything we've ever heard. How then can a man be saved? And Jesus said, you can't. Man can't, but all with God, all things are possible. 
the young, rich ruler. As good as anybody in this room today walked away sad. How are you going to walk away today? Hmm? How are you going to walk away today? Sad? Because you spent all this energy trying to please God and some kind of have favor with God so that somehow God would smile and so that when you die, you would wing your flight into heaven and you've just expended all the energy you can and it's still misfiring and it's still not connecting and you're wondering, what in the world do I got to do? So will you walk away sad? Or will you walk away glad? Maybe you realize that you couldn't be saved by your own works. So you decided through the conviction and the wooing and the drawing of Jesus to come and bow, repent, by faith believe, and you walk out glad. Or maybe today God has taken your heart and the Holy Spirit has kind of put your heart in a vice. It's beginning to tighten down the vice. Beginning to put pressure in your heart to help you realize you've never truly been saved. Now you've been to church. You've maybe been involved in church all of your life. You've been, but no, there's something missing. You've never truly repented. And maybe today, the Holy Spirit would be pleased to convict you and to draw you for His glory into the kingdom of God. Would you bow with me?